Plenty of time for Stroud. Directing receivers, flips it to the end zone, caught, touchdown! Marvin Harrison Jr. making a huge impact. Milton taking a shot downfield, he's got a man open, and it's into the arms of Squirrel White. Nix, pump fake, takes off, out of the clear, Bo Nix, there he goes, he won't be caught, he's done it again! What's going on, everybody? This is Chris K from uh, Burning the Red Shirt Podcast here with Andrew, as well as a special guest, Scott Bell, uh, infamously known by some, wildly popular with the Michigan fan base. Um, Scott, you're going to be the second ever guest on our show after about 50 episodes, the other being Eric Froton. Are you familiar with Froton? Oh, yeah. The the prop king. So, yeah. I, 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 this past year was the first year I kind of dabbled into the, the prize picks game. So I'm a, I'm a Froton fan. So uh, tough act to follow. Yeah, big time. I was just going to say that's an interesting group to be a part of, Froton. And I guess the third guest we have will have to be a, it'll make it an eclectic group. But uh, what's up, Andrew? I mean, we haven't talked in a couple of weeks. What's going on with you, man? Dude, you know, cycling through various uh, illnesses that funnel into my family via my uh, primarily my uh, 16th month, month old at this point. He's the main, the main source, uh, but got over the hump of the latest one this weekend. So I'm, I'm feeling good. I, I, I abstain from my usual Super Bowl strategy of uh, being so messed up. I don't remember the second half and just kept, took it easy. So I'm, I'm feeling all the vibes today. I'm feeling great. Nice. Well, uh, I don't think we have too crazy of a, of a breakdown of what we want to talk about today. I think, obviously, Scott, I think it'd be kind of interesting for people to, to actually get a breakdown of, of what you do on a day-to-day slash year-to-year basis, because I don't think people realize how much work you uh, do in the different journalistic realms. And then I guess we're just both kind of curious, like, how the hell do you do it with all the different things? Because we uh, juggling life and in one podcast is difficult as it, uh, as it is. Yeah. The, the how and the why might be hard to explain because I'm not, not too sure of that myself, but, uh, uh, last summer I, I made the flip. So I, I've, I've worked in sports journalism, um, my whole life. I, I, uh, was a sports editor at Michigan when I went to school there. And then I worked at the Detroit free press for a couple of years and since 2010, which makes me feel, Incredibly old. Uh, I came down to Dallas to um, uh, join the management team for the Dallas Morning News in sports. And I worked there for um, 12 years in sports, just different, um, overseeing different areas, um, kind of always over our digital operation. But then there were some content areas there, uh, including colleges. So Probably that's of, of most interest to, to folks listening to this, but um, super love the, the college scene down here. Get to go to Texas OU every year, um, all, all, all that good stuff. But this past summer, um, I flipped, and now I run the breaking news team here. Um, so that's a team of 10 to 12 people, not, not sports-specific anymore. It's just general um, breaking news, so that's more – crime stuff. If you've been paying attention, there have been like thefts from the Dallas zoo lately, um, <laughs> sort of things like that. So it's, it's a different element of crazy, but definitely still, um, some crazy, but from the sports side of things, uh, I started Michigan newsletter, uh, about 
three years ago. And um, that's been fun. It's, it's, it's also been a bigger chunk of time than I uh, initially expected when I started it. But um, having that was, was one of the reasons I was kind of okay making that pivot outside of sports uh, at the morning news. So um, in season for football, I'm, I usually send out three or four newsletters a week um, out of season. It's a little deeper dive stuff, not as frequent. So um, still scratching that sports itch a little bit, but uh, more, more of as a side job um, type thing now. Which do, you, which do you enjoy more from a content creation perspective inside in season or out of season? Um, probably out of season. Cause you can be a little more creative with, with what you're going to do in season. Um, it's, it's good to sort of have like the cadence and the same sort of staples, like, the, the four the four newsletters each week are kind of the same thing like okay this is these are predictions this is my game column um etc cetera, etc cetera. and then in the off season you get a little more time to to do some some bigger projects so like last year i did um like a deep dive into how's michigan gonna replace hassan haskins and, and what it means for like short yardage and if you're a michigan fan and you watched the um the horror that was short yardage uh, goal line stuff in the national semifinal that, that hits a little close to home. So um, we'll do other stuff like that right now. It's basketball. So I'm, I'm breaking down um, the final, the, the different times um, Michigan's had a final possession situation under Juwan Howard. And it's, it's very, very ugly. They're like mm-hmm. nine in those situations. So um Basically, like I ask myself, what is a fan? Do I want to know? And if it's interesting to explore, I kind of just dive in a little deeper uh, for that. Yeah, I need to know. You can't just tease us with this. What, what animals are being stolen from the zoo? Uh, there were two monkeys stolen. There was a leopard that got loose. Uh, there was an endangered vulture that was found dead. Um, I'm sure you'll see it as a as a Netflix documentary in the next year or two, but it's a very big regional story right now, but I think it's, it's, it's gaining some, some national excitement too. So um, it's, it's definitely, there's never a dull moment. There's always crazy stuff happening here in the zoo since the, the start of 2023 has kind of taken up a lot of our, our resources and our interests. Gotcha. What, uh, so I guess obviously big Michigan fans. So you have that background and, and that knowledge Where there. Where you get that idea from, but yeah. <laughs> what are the, Very I guess, journalists. I think everybody's kind of got like a niche of like who they have, like maybe a good feel for is there besides Michigan is like SMU, Texas, TCU. Like, do you have like a really good feel for those teams or is it really just Michigan and the rest is just kind of, yeah. I, I mean, Michigan's a, a different level than anything, but I, I, I feel really comfortable with, with the Big Ten. And then um, you could say Big 12 in, in SEC, but probably just like that Lone Star State area because there's um, there, there, there are in-state schools that don't fall into the, the Big 12 or the SEC. So SMU's right in the backyard. Um, some UNT, but um, then mainly your Big 12 schools and, and the – the folks from the Big 12 that have jumped or are jumping to the SEC. So I, I don't think we're breaking any sort of news and letting uh, all 100 and change of our listeners know that you are, uh, you, you're 
heavy in the CFF uh, space from a player perspective. You try you try and dive into different leagues and stuff like that, um, whether it be best balls that CFF sites running, right? The 50 team. No, no, not the 50 team league. Maybe you maybe you have been part of that, but like the you were in the Roto one, World uh, ones last year. Those uh, the P5 G5. Um, so, so when you play CFF though. Do, what, I'm interested in your strategy from a time perspective, from a knowledge-based perspective. Do you gravitate towards in, uh, the players and the teams that you are that you interact with more on a day-to-day basis? Just are kind of being drawn toward you as a result of what you what you do, or do you do you try and scan the entire landscape and look for the best plays at large? Yeah, it's different. I I have done the fifty teamer because you won that a couple times, right? Just two back to back. So I I think I made the semis two of those times. So I, I think you might have beaten me uh, in in one of those, but I've done okay in that league. No, yeah, yeah, not 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 quite Andrew standards, but um, it it really kind of depends on when like some I, I need I need to be more strategic when I when I join leagues because I like I think like a lot of people you hit like June or July and that itch just like starts coming and you get excited and then you just like sign up, sign up, sign up. And then like, I feel like I've been overextended the last couple of years. And last year I, I, I tried to be a little more best ball centric. So I'd be a little less overwhelmed in season with like me needing to navigate through stuff. But I, I, I definitely need to take a step back and be a little more strategic, but and in that sense, um, I'll try to join leagues in the areas where I'm a little more knowledgeable. Um, like I did, I, I did more Big Twelve stuff last year. Um, when it's the fifty teamer and, and you get to put in your recommendations, I I usually I think I've come out of the the Big Ten MAC league most of those years. But I, you, you want to kind of um, lean on your edges and and. Give yourself an advantage in, in spots where there are, but I, I, I'd be the first to tell you I need to be uh, a little, a little more picky on on what I'm joining and what I'm hopping into because I'd rather do six leagues and, and really focus on those than join twelve and uh, do a lot of B minus work and all of those. Yeah, yeah I, I feel. Think- I feel the same way Um, with respect to my game selection. Like I was in 30 leagues last year or whatever, but mostly best ball. And while I tell myself I want to and need to scale back in CFF generally, I don't see any avenues because outside of maybe trimming the best ball tree a little bit, but even that, what's that going to do? But um, in terms of picking player, I think that personally that you can – and I've had success doing it. Even if you're joining all 130 leagues or P5 leagues, you can still lean towards your strengths and your knowledge base and ignore a big breadth of the player base and still be successful because of how much variance there is in CFF, how many players are just, how many draft picks are just going to fail, generally speaking. So if you can gravitate toward um, certain teams, certain things that you feel strong about, a, a, a make is so much more valuable in CFF than a missed shot in any other uh, fancy sport. At least that, that's that's my opinion. Um, and, but then you get into the arena, right? And we, by the time we're drafting some of these leagues, there's like there are th- there are opinions across the industry that exist at large. It's tough to truly just lean into 
things that you knew or thought you know and like block out all the noise and stuff like that but i i it's always something that i try and be cognizant of and but you can always get a little better at it too yeah no i i, I totally agree with that and i think there's like when I first started really sort of spreading my wings and doing more, I'd almost, I'd almost like hedge bets and like, Hey, there's these guys I like, but I'm going to choose someone different in case that does. And now it's, it's so much more like be confident in, in, in your own sort of um, in uh, determinations on who, who, who are your guys in, in, in ride them because um, it's it, a, you you like it for a reason you kind of mentioned the whole group think i think cff has a really big group think uh kind of problem and if you're if you're on someone in in may and in july someone like the, there's this new darling in in the committee be, be be okay to to zag when other people are zagging and if they're 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 your guys they're your guys for a reason and don't don't be afraid to um to, to ride them uh, across a lot of other leagues. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Andrew is a big fan a big fan of that point. Uh, I unfortunately rode a, a guy or two maybe a little bit too hard that I shouldn't, but oh well. Uh, that kind of touches on what I wanted to ask you next. Is I mean, obviously you played a bunch of different leagues the last couple of years. Maybe last year specifically, was there anything that you came away from thinking like, man, I'm not going to make that mistake again, or maybe just generally speaking, a strategy that you learned that you thought. Hey, I need to make sure I remember this in 2023 for when I start drafting again. Uh, off the top of my head, not not a huge um, thing. I got I got burned on. I was I was pretty set that um, Tanner Mordecai was was uh, probably not going to be at SMU last fall, and um, did not think that that was uh, going to be a thing. I, I, I was never a believer in Max Duggan. I, I, I had no shares in him whatsoever. So can't, can't um, relate. I, I, I rode Chandler. Uh, I drafted Chandler Morris, probably he's probably my third most drafted player. Uh, so after week one, that, that put me at a disadvantage, but I also had a lot of Austin Reed shares, uh, particularly in best ball because um, I was not a daggy believer in, in, in thought. So that, kind of fell on, on, on both sides of that. But in terms of overall strategy, um, I'm not always a um, heading into a year. I'm not like a get your wide receivers first, go cheap on running backs, et cetera. I, I think it's dependent on the pool um, each year. And uh, last year I kind of liked the, the depth sort of in that one B tier of quarterback. So I wasn't necessarily riding quarterbacks. Um, uh, hard high up in the draft because I thought you could get comparable talent later, but I, I could have a very different approach to it um, this year once I kind of dig in a little bit more. Nice, yeah. It's uh, it's funny who we who we tie ourselves to. Like I, I was like a Brew McCoy guy, obviously, and Andrew was a Taylor Morris. Yeah, so <laughs> go figure, right? But uh, it, and I'm not really a Brew McCoy uh, guy right now, which is weird, but. We'll, we'll get there when it gets deeper into the off season, but is is that because of the restraining order? <laughs> yeah. They've asked to, to, for me to stop tweeting about them um, specifically. <laughs> uh, I think SMU, you kind of touched on SMU a little bit. I think SMU, Andrew and I were kind of talking just this week about how ridiculous, like some of their situations are. Like I realized that Tyler Levine still is there, 
somehow ineligible, and then we start talking about their running back room. I mean, you do you you know the names? There's like seven different guys at SMU that could be an interesting running back um, with some of the different transfers and things like that. Do you have any gut feel on how that room shakes out? Yeah, I have a really, I'll, I'll have a really hard time drafting any um, running backs out of SMU just because of the whole one ball, too many mouths to feed type thing. Um, I, I, I think you saw SMU being more open to going committee last year uh, as is. Um, I, I thought Sonny was a little more um, open to, to riding one one running back. But last year you, you have games where, um, where – Levine may get the get the carries that game or the the transfer out of Bama um, the other and it, it too much variance there and now this year you're bringing in even more talent with a couple other transfers and and people maybe sticking around that they expected not to and it's it's a good problem from SMU to have in terms of a talent and a roster situation but that that's a that's a no go for me in in, in fantasy. Yeah, I could I talk about SMU, even if we it wasn't just even if you didn't have any sort of tangential connection to it. I could talk about it for hours because there's so much fun stuff to talk about with the program, and interesting stuff too. Joe, so do you interact with Joe Hoyt still? Um, as like or, or less and less moving to um, breaking news now, or do you like, funnel all the Rhett Lashley breaking news transfer stuff off your desk to Joe's and let him report on it? Uh, are you guys not really in touch much anymore? Oh yeah, no. Joe, Joe's my we're we're due to go golfing soon. Um, nice. He's he's awesome. I yeah, I, um, he's the man. Brought him in as an intern here uh, six or seven years ago, and then he went off. But there was another opening, and we got him back in here. And uh, I Joe's a great worker, super guy. So big, he walks, big Joe fan. He walks the fine line of actually interacting with the deranged lunatics of our space because he, he, and he'll actually answer their questions, knowing what they're driving at, knowing, I assume that like, not everyone, we aren't all rational actors in the space. Like if you funnel information to us out of goodwill, it might come back and bite you, Joe. You don't know if like, if someone's going to end up sitting or starting, you're just trying your best, but not everyone is as, uh, as good as, as restraining in their interaction on Twitter as, as I am, I will say, but I'm interested. So put yourself in Joe's shoes. You put all your blood, sweat, tears into covering SMU. And then someone like Brett Brett McMurphy breaks the potential SMU to the Pac-12 news. On the local level, is that just something that you expect that you're not going to be there to get that like a monster scoop like that, even though that dude's not doing anything with SMU on a day-to-day basis, like the national to local relationship or lack thereof and the realities that go with it. Is it just something that you accept, you accept as like, that's just, that's just part of how things uh, land from time to time. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I, I, w- I, I would love to talk journalism landscape for, for eight hours if you guys have the time. But um, with, when it comes to realignment, I get that kind of as a scoop because that's probably going to come from a lot higher level than, than SMU. Like SMU is not going to leak out anything that's going to hurt their chances at, um, 
at being a part of this next wave of realignment. Like they're, they're, they're just going to zip their lips. And like, if you do something to piss off the power brokers on, on who, who are the next people to make this shift, um, they, they wouldn't make that mistake. So th- this McMurphy scoops almost certainly coming out of the PAC 12 or, or a higher um, national thing like that. And that's not really something that in SMU, a local person is going to be sourced and doing. And they're the, the people from the PAC 12 are probably looking for McMurphy to sort of float that out as a, as a trial balloon to, to see how people react. Um, there, there's always like motives on where information is coming from and why. So, um, it, the, the scoop is, is becoming lesser and lesser of a thing at, at the local level because um, a, a lot of these papers, um, news organizations aren't investing on these local teams the, the, the way that they used to. But you can still get um, good scoops, good information, especially when it comes to um, a place like SMU where there isn't necessarily as much competition. Like AM, Tax Ags is going to have that on lockdown. Um, they're they're, they're going to be places like, um, I mean, Texas, you're going to have a lot of people coming in and, and, and covering it. But SMU, if you have someone like Joe, who's there at all the practices, um, having these conversations, like you, you have a lot of conversations with people um, about information that isn't even about publishing. It's just um, making connections and things like that. Then you're, you're going to get some scoops and Joe has got some scoops. It's just uh, the, the, the big national stuff. Um, you always, you want to be in that conversation, but there's a reason the same people are always breaking those, um, those types of things and they're getting it served up to them on a platter. Uh, Indra, I know you're super interested, obviously. Are, do you think SMU ends up going to, uh, is SMU about to get moved out of the AEC? Like, what do we, what do we think the landscape or how is that going to change for them and the PAC 12 here? I just coming from a, a place in life of, of either being like Georgia and pretending I'm an or, underdog or actually being an underdog. Like I understand that mentality. I hate the Steele and Scott's term, the power dynamic of the reshuffling of the CFP landscape, how it's always pulling teams out at ad hoc as needed. Um, I would love to have, for instance, see the AAC band together a few years ago. And the Big 12 was really, in my opinion, like a step or two away from totally collapsing. Like they once that they got poached of um, Texas and OU, if they didn't get that influx of BYU and Cincy, what are they and uh, a couple other schools, what are they but a few, a few old men who are just who need to continue to collect those checks? Um, like what, what, what makes them a better conference than some, than for instance, the AAC. So in a lot of ways, I, I hate to see how like these, these conferences, when they're on life support, they have the ability to just go down and, um, move G5 mountains into their sphere of influence in order to kind of retain their status. That's probably, that's what we're seeing here with, with, I think it, what is it? San Diego state and SMU, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure assuming that um, the like the numbers estimates and the PR, everything looks good. Like they'll check those boxes and uh, we'll see that happen. So from an underdog perspective, like I, I kind of hate it. Like I hate seeing these G5 uh, conferences that have some cool rivalries, have do a lot of things that I love seeing them get stripped. Um, but 
at, at the same time, I guess, I mean, I like SMU. I like rooting for SMU for reasons that really just come back to them having like a, 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 a nice uh, linear trajectory of CFF uh, status going back 10 plus years uh, now at this point. So I've been rooting for them, targeting their players. Uh, so it's cool to see them uh, get potentially get a bump in relevancy. Uh, so that's the, those are my thoughts on it. Scott, do you think it happens? Do you think they go to the, it all shakes out and they end up in the Pac-12? Yeah, my my opinion and my opinion only. I, I I do think it it makes sense as a fit. I think the Pac-12 needs to be proactive. I think they're worried about some of their other flagship um, schools getting poached, and I think SMU makes sense on that next level of um, of candidates. I think SMU would have been a Big Twelve um, fit if the Big Twelve was okay with sort of having those dueling. Um, dueling people from the DFW market in there with both SMU and TCU. And that didn't happen for a, a variety of reasons, but DFW market is, is, is a big one. Um, SMU is, is shown they're, they're willing to spend money um, and making big facilities upgrades. Um, they're, they're one of the schools on the forefront of NIL in terms of um, getting everyone sort of a baseline salary. And um, I think there's a lot of influence there and, and they're showing that they're, um, willing to sort of spend like the big boys and, and, and be part of the big boys. And I think it makes, there's a lot of parallels to what SMU is doing now to position itself to get in the PAC 12 to what TCU was doing when it made the mountain West to, to big 12 jump. And uh, I could see SMU sort of seeing itself in a similar position five years down the line and, and being a lot healthier because of it. Cause there's a huge difference, even even with the Pac-12 sort of um, uh, sort of losing some momentum with when you're losing um, programs like USC and uh, USC and UCLA, you, there's a huge difference between being associated with the Pac-12 and in the, the AAC. Are, you brought up USC and UCLA. Are you a, a fan of that ad for the Big Ten? It's a obviously a, a big Big Ten fan, a Michigan fan. Is that a cool move or is it kind of ruins like maybe the legacy and the tradition of what it's always been? I think, I think you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube in, in that aspect. I, I think there's no going back and in, in, in terms of trying to keep up with the sec or, or fighting is hard to stay up there. I, I think that was um, you look at moves the big 10 could have made in, in re- retaliation to the Texas and OU poaching. And I think that's, um, a great move. Uh, obviously, the geographical uh, issues of having um, Penn State and Rutgers on one side of the U.S. and um, the the California teams out there is is going to be problems for sort of the non revenue sports and um, how you're going to play like a field hockey game on a Wednesday between those schools is is something I'm glad I don't have to worry about logistically, but. For the long-term um, health of the Big Ten, strapping two brands like that to the Rocket, I think are, I, I think was really crucial uh, for the Big Ten and in, in, in sort of having that separation between um, them and SEC, the SEC and sort of everyone else. Um, so I, I think you're going to see the SEC and ESPN sort of have their own huge marriage there, but I think Fox is um, going to want to strap itself to the Big Ten, and you're just going to see 
um, those two become the halves and, and, and create a larger and larger distance between um, every other conference and, and credit to the Big Ten for um, making it a two conference race instead of just having it be the SEC and everyone else. I think it, I think the what's exciting for me is just the random fun matchups. Like whenever you see a, a cool random matchup in bowl games, it always is is interesting to watch. Andrew, on like the conference realignment talk, there I think last week it was brought up like, well, is the SEC going to do the one and seven or the three and six? You know, in terms of who they're auto matched with. I mean, Kirby is definitely trying to do the one and seven so he can keep dodging Bama, right? <laughs> it's I, I i don't pay as close attention to that kind of stuff as you you uh might think i do like i all, so much of that stuff is just put out there at least now in the theoretical perspective to get, get fan bases revved up who's the school is it auburn that get that's supposedly getting bama georgia and florida every year if it, probably, I mean, you have yeah. to. If they go three and six, they have to have those two to start. Kirby, and then four, Kirby's I guess, so maybe. close to entering his Saban phase of five, ten years ago, where he's above, totally above the fray, and is ready to just pontificate on how CFB can get better at large, acknowledging with everything that he's saying that nothing affects me and us because we're above it all. He's right there, I think, from like a mentality perspective. Uh, I think we'll see in press conferences this year, he might fully flip the switch. Okay. That's a good answer. I, I like to bait Georgia fans. Um, I want to, I think like a, from a non super serious standpoint, that's just kind of how we like play around with this. Scott, what kind of uh, beat writer would you, or beat reporter would you be? Would you be like the Wake Forest guy that like literally is giving you everything? Or Andrew, who's the guy? Is it the Big Twelve that like scratches off every name? The Oklahoma guy. The Oklahoma guy. What kind of beat reporter would you be? Because it sounds like, to a certain extent, if you do drop too much knowledge, the program might kind of be a little upset about it. So, with that being said, what kind of guy are you? Would you be? I. I mean, I. I don't understand why if you're tasked with owning this beat and growing audience for a specific beat, why you wouldn't look to like a community like the CFF community and, and not embrace it. Like, I, I know I'm, I'm kind of biased or I have a uh, sort of have a dog in this because I, I, I understand that community. I, I, and I understand the value it can bring, but like, it's, it, it's kind of like the whole journalism, like people that wouldn't embrace digital when you grew up with print. Like if you don't show sort of a willingness to look ahead and, and, and see, hey, how can we keep this rolling? Then are you really doing, um, doing your job? So um, maybe not even if it's just CFF or if it's uh, some other spinoff thing of it, but like if there are people coming to you for information uh, where you're supposed to be the the owner of that information like why gatekeep that and not share it like you 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 can see people's following like go up and up a, as you share more and, and and spread more awareness of it so it's it seems like a no-brainer to me but again i'm i'm not the most unbiased person in, in this conversation 
Yeah, I'd like to talk to those guys that that give you the uh, the like the breaking news at twelve oh one of a guy being in sweatpants. Like I'm I'm genuinely curious where their their standpoint is on that because um, it doesn't make much sense. I know Andrew Andrew loves it from that perspective of like <laughs> he wants beat reporters to give info and stuff like that. But Andrew, you're pretty anti in like a NFL like injury yeah, report. My, my right? stance is convoluted and hypocritical, but. So my, my favorite B writer uh, type though is the, the, the person who proactively barks at you if you have a have a question uh, telling you that are are you gambling or something like that like what the f are you doing how dare you and ju judges you for it or whatever but um no my 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 hypocritical stance is that I mean I'm all for and su super appreciative of any any writer B writer etc that uh, is willing to to be proactive, divulge information, go out and get it. Like, it's awesome. Uh, but I do not personally want the, the NFL standardized uh, reporting because I think that it, fall, it there's a number of bulleted items that I don't have a defined list for that I think makes CFF more interesting, beatable, especially from the, when we talk about beatable relative to like betting against Vegas, not so much like, in within fantasy, even though I think it's more interesting, but we think about prop betting, we think about um, trying to beat lines, which is I'm not very good at, but prop betting is a good example. Like anything that you do to more closely mirror the NFL model gives Vegas an edge, and I'm, I'm just not super interested in that. In the short term, yeah, it sucks when you get beat on a, a player uh, getting two snaps and, and you didn't know he was hurt and he bows out or whatever, but as someone who has gone a long way in terms of developing a discipline, more disciplined bankroll mentality and trying to think more long-term than just looking to put 50% of my, my bankroll in a single play. To some extent, that gives me the perspective when I get beat on a play because of information, I can re rely, I can fall back on that mentality of it's better for the long term if this information is not standardized in the way of NFL because it allows us to create and maintain the edge that allows that game to ultimately be beatable. I I totally agree with that, and and, and especially in just like sort of traditional CFF format of I I don't want I don't want injury information to be just handed out to everyone. Um, I my. I'm in, so I started in, in CFF in 2008. Um, I, I have a league with buddies in college that we've, we've kept going for, for 15 years. It's super fun. Um, and, and we started as it, it was just a hand scored league where um, we have a spreadsheet. We update who's, who did their points or whatever. And, and, and that's where it went. And we still haven't like, migrated that to fan tracks because like <laughs> i i don't like there there are people in the league like the the majority of people have sort of spread their wings and, and gotten into cff and, but i don't want as much as like points per game like fantasy points per game or like touches or targets i don't i don't need all of that information just like brought out to everyone and if you're going to do the work you should get rewarded for it and if you're going to do your due diligence and, and see um what's going on with guys on your team, like from an injury standpoint, or you do the work on keeping tabs on these beat writers who are passing along these information, you should get an edge and not have that same information 
passed along to people who aren't doing that and they're just um, scouring for headlines at uh, 20 minutes before kickoff. Yeah. I think there's people out there that would say the cap of CFF is, is lower. Like the, the upside to how big this can get is going to be is hinges on injury reports. Andrew, did you have a, a thought or opinion based on that? Or do you think it's all? I was going to, I was going to use the cool finance term market cap to express what you were trying to articulate, but you're, yeah, yeah I, it's totally fair and it's right. I mean, I, and we're putting me in a place now where it makes it super clear that my selfish interests are more of the most importance of, for me, which I mean, yeah, it's true. Like I, I want to win uh, when I play and I'm more interested in, my, uh, my wallet than probably the like the idea of growing the sport at large. Um, but I, yeah, the, I think there is something to say for that, right? That the idea of making, in, ma- reducing the barriers to entry, reducing the time commitment needed to just become a passable player, injury reporting and stuff of that ilk would help there. But um, I don't know just personally in terms of what I'm looking to put in, what I'm looking to get out and what I enjoy, what I value. It doesn't really uh, help me in those areas. Yeah. By the way, we all know that you're selfishly making a decision. <laughs> like we don't need the, the episode 47. This is not breaking news. Yeah. Fair. You know, so, uh, I mean, do you agree with that, Scott, or do you have a differing opinion? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't think altruism should be the, the number one. Well, it's not the number one uh, guiding star for me when it comes to, um, this hobby, I think you have to look at it as a business. And I think as, as people get older and your, your free time is, is more finite and, uh, you have kids and you have other things to worry about. Like I, I, I would, I, I'm going to prioritize hobbies that can give me an ROI and, um, fantasy college football is fun to do, but I wouldn't do it if there wasn't a financial, um, aspect to it. So I, I agree that, uh, you're not going to see this grow to the level of other things um, if if you sort of have that restrictive um, um, entry point. But that that that's not a main concern for me. Um, I, I, a lot of people in the this space or the DFS space, like I, I know there's a lot of people who um, were sort of part of the first poker boom that that have kind of transferred in there i don't know if either of you are part of that or whatever but like when poker was like super big online pre black friday um before yeah. 2011 um I, I i i really liked playing poker i it was it was a nice sort of side source of income but like the big fields the big big money was in um no limit texas hold'em and and, and that's that's the that's the big thing to to win all your money well i I, I would I would play that. It was fine, but I really liked um, Pot Limit Omaha Eight or better, like a niche game, but it's a skill game. And I thought there was a bigger edge there, and I made a lot of money playing that. And I sort of liken that to like CFF right here. Like anyone can play fantasy. Everyone plays fantasy football, and um, you you get in the Sunday DFS contest, and you can win a million bucks if you want to do that. But like you can also have a bigger skill edge in, in CFF because um, of, of a lot of things we've discussed. And I, I feel like that's sort of the same sort of approach I had to, to that. You're not going to have the the bigger prizes or fields and in, in pot limit Omaha eight or better than you would in, in uh, 
in in Hold'em, but um, there there's a bigger edge to exploit, and that's that's kind of my my CFF uh, comparison. Dude, I uh, yeah, Omaha was my game as well. I um, I, I played party poker, got involved in all the, the ske- a lot of the sketchy stuff, and yeah, I, I dude, I totally hear what you're coming where you're coming from. I um, I I I was talking to my one buddy who is does a lot of stuff with player props and I come the CFB player props versus NFL player props is Omaha versus Holden recently. So it's, it's, I, I, I can't believe that you're you actually made the comp as well of CFB to NFL because it, it, it hits home perfectly. I have no idea what that is, but it makes sense just from, I can imagine what it's, what it's like there, but Dude, all right. You this game. You should try sometime. Shifting gears a couple weeks back. Maybe I, said that J.J. McCarthy would be a top 20 fantasy quarterback, which I think people would say he's in like the 40s or 50s. Scott, what can you give me that makes me feel better about that prediction, or am I just an idiot? Uh, he'll be top 20 in the Big Ten. Um, <laughs> may, may, maybe top 20 in, in, in P5. But I, my, my thing is um, he's, he's not going to throw it enough, I, I don't think, and they're, they're not going to have him um, – running it for the majority of the season to where he you'd sort of get uh, reap the benefits of, of, of dual threat either. Um, I think he's going to be really efficient. I think he's going to have a good year. And I think a lot of what they do in the run game uh, will give him the opportunity to have some bigger plays. Like I, I, I like Roman Wilson as, as sort of a sleeper this year, because I think he's going to not necessarily a high um, volume catch, but I think he's going to be over a, 20 yards a catch type guy because you're going to get him downfield on a lot of plays because teams are going to have to sell out to, uh, to stop that running attack. But um, I think you're going to see a lot of games where he throws 15 or 18 times and and, and that's about it. And um, Michigan's got a really soft schedule at the start of the year again. And you're going to see a lot of games where um, he's going to play two, two and a half quarters and he's going to be done. So um I think he'll be one of the 20 best quarterbacks in college football next season, but I do not think he will be one of the 20 best fantasy college football quarterbacks. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, it's a little bit of a reach. It's That's definitely a fair point. Is he – I mean, is there a chance – like how good of a chance is it that he goes in the draft, or is he just a lock to be there for four years? Um, Not a lock. I, I think Michigan – is taking care of him or people in the Michigan community are going to take care of him really well with NIL. I think it's going to be kind of similar to Hunter Dickinson. And I think next year's um, quarterback class is, is, is going to be uh, a, a tough one to, to try to um, be a part of too. So I, I think it's going to make sense for him to um, stay a second year, but different people have different motivations and, 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 and a lot of things could happen. Um, this, this is a Michigan team that's built to win in 2023 and they're going to lose a lot of people in 2024. So maybe um, JJ cuts bait after that too, knowing that a lot of um, the weapons around him wouldn't be there. But if I had to guess right now, um, I would expect him to be here for two more years just because um uh, he'd be surrounded by a lot of talented quarterbacks in that, in that 24 draft. And um, yeah, I think he's going to make a lot of money off of NIL at Michigan. Is that why you think Corum came back? Or do you think he's one of those guys that I always was under the impression or I believed he would come back because he seems like the guy that 
Michigan finally breaks through and beats Ohio State twice. He wasn't a part of either of those games, really. Then the uh, playoffs, he wasn't a part of that, and they, you know, Michigan lost. Um, or it's not much of a, of a part of those games and that he would kind of had that mentality that he would want it. Like, literally, like, the, the buzz, you know, the buzz transfer situation of, like, run it back or one more ride or whatever. Do you think he's more money focused or do you think it's a mixture of everything? Or, I mean, what was, what do you think the reason why he came back is? Yeah, I, I think it's probably a three-part cocktail. Uh, a, I, he's, he loves college. Like he's, he, he's, he's a good locker room guy. He's, he's, he's going to be a leader on this team. And I think he really does um, enjoy there. And then there's an opportunity to come back. Uh, the NIL thing is, is, is a big deal. Um, right before, not right before, like a week before Michigan went public with its whole um, fundraising campaign of, Hey, keep these five juniors here. Um, Michigan fans can donate directly here. And I think that showed um, uh, a willingness to, to sort of embrace it and and to see just how much fans were, um, were, were, were behind that too. And then the third thing being in his injury, um, Yes, it meant he didn't get to experience uh, a lot of the stuff at the end of the 2022 season, but I think it also means he probably was going to be less likely to um, be fully healthy to, to show out at the Combine. And uh, um, Do you think he's ready to, to go in the early part of the season? Or too yeah. far away? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, it, it, it's I, – I think it's more of a it, – like it's not a – structural ACL sort of, uh, damage. I think it was just a, um, a time pain threshold type thing, but I, I don't see it being a, a super long-term thing, but, but, but like I'm saying with JJ and in, in the schedule again, like Michigan has the luxury to ease him in. Um, you're, you're going to want to play him enough to, to make an impact and you're, you're not bringing people back another year just to, um, give him eight carries, but he's not going to have to be a workhorse until uh, November, especially with um, the Donovan Edwards dynamic as well. I'm interested to see how that that shakes out because it felt like Edwards, obviously, is super talented, was is awesome, but like it felt like Edwards was best when he was by himself, and Corm just got a ton of usage. Do you think they just kind of split, like literally uh, split carries? Or I know like Bainbridge was all over. Edwards last year incorrectly, by the way, uh, Mike, I know you're listening or will be um, because he liked the PPR aspect to it. Like, what do you, how do you think that dynamic works uh, in the season? Yeah. To, to, to D to defend Mike a little bit, I fully expected Donovan to be a bigger part of the passing game last year than he was too. So um, I, I think that's the biggest key to unlocking sort of your, your best offense if you're Michigan next year is, is, is finding a way to get them on the field together more often. Um, I, I don't think either of them need to get 25 carries a game. I don't think that's Donovan's strength. Um, Donovan did well down the stretch because of the home runs he was hitting. Um, and, and he was doing that with a big bulky cast on his hand. So um, I, I would definitely have Donovan playing 15, 20 snaps a game in the slot Um and I don't have the number directly in front of me, but I think they averaged fewer than five snaps a game where um, when both healthy Blake and Donovan were on the field at the same time. So I, I think it's a matchup nightmare for defenses to have to account for both of them at the same time. 
Um, and I think Michigan needs to get more creative in, in how they include um, their running backs in their offense next year. Do you think Ohio State has – Ohio State feels like they're in a similar boat. I was – I think we we're all kind of shocked that one of – well, not one of them, that Mayan didn't go to the draft or something. But for them both to be back, Travion and Mayan in the fall, do you think they just try to do the same sort of thing? But, I mean, they're, they're one of them is not a bigger pass catcher than the other. They're just kind of more traditional running backs, right? So do you think they'll be yeah. just as successful as, as Michigan was for the most part with those two? I, I think it'll be interesting because I, I thought Hayden showed really well at the end too when, when they needed him. So that, that's, a, that's a really talented um, running back room. Uh, I don't think they have as versatile of a skill set as, as um, maybe Donovan does in terms of the pass catching, but um, you, you're going to have to um, – well, A, I think they will lean on the running game more than they did um, the past couple of years because you're not going to have C.J. Stroud. Um uh, and, and you might need to ease, presumably McCord, maybe Brown, into that. But um, yeah, it's 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 going to be there's going to be a lot of situations in the Big Ten, um, Michigan, Ohio State, like you said, Penn State too. There's there's a lot of really talented running back rooms and in, in, in only one ball in all of these places. So um, I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of huge aerial attacks out of the the kind of those those big three teams because they're going to be up by a lot and they're going to have a lot of running backs that they they need to appease yeah andrew you're a big mccord guy right you've been was it mccord that you've been writing for a while yeah i I grabbed him i trade for him in dynasty league coming into last year still i mean even though everything that is coming to pass presently is just like it's just jockeying for position um, more or less and or just everyone's trying to connect some dots with nothing actually happening but it feels good his position feels good uh in terms of being able to secure uh that job it sounds like he has a he has a leg up so um yeah i'm feeling good about that uh about that personally scott i have some more obscure michigan uh tangential tangentially michigan uh things i want your thoughts on um we'll start with the least obscure darius clemens we i feel like we were hearing a lot about him last spring is he cracked starting role this year yeah i think the last projected um depth chart i did for 2023 i slotted him as in as the third uh starting wide receiver now i think that's kind of um putting three wide receivers starting is a little disingenuous because Michigan plays yeah. out of uh, 12 personnel so often that you're going to have two tight ends out there a lot, especially with Colson Loveland's emergence. And I, I think AJ Barner is going to be a, a sneaky tight end option in, in fantasy next year too. And I'm just sitting here advocating for Donovan Edwards to play more in the slot. So um, a starting wide receiver position for Michigan is still, probably needs an asterisk because you've got Cornelius Johnson and, and, and Roman Wilson there. But I do think Darius Clemens is probably the um, the wide receiver out of that group of three um, true sophomores next year that probably has the, mo- the best chance of being fantasy relevant. Um, Tyler Morris played in high school with J.J. McCarthy, so I think he's someone to still keep an eye on. Uh, he didn't play as much last year because he was coming off an ACL injury. But the third um, 
wide receiver that came in with them uh, was a Morian Walker. And there's a good chance he's going to be flipping to, to defense. So I think Darius Clemens has the, the highest ceiling. Um, it's just, I don't see a lot of wide receivers being super um, relevant there uh, this year, but 2024 could be a completely different story. Cause I do expect Cornelius Johnson and Roman Wilson to both be gone. So all of a sudden there's, um, there's a um, opening for for wide receiver one at, at Michigan. And, and Ronnie Bell showed last year um, not dominating by any means, but fairly reliable in that spot. Totally. So we've seen uh, so much movement across the QB ecosystem of the FBS. QBs going all over for different reasons. One of my favorite reasons personally is the QB that strategically moves to a QB room where he knows he's not going to start, gets handshake uh, a GA job afterwards, and just kind of backs up our third strings. Because I, you got, I, I appreciate to some degree, like not going to to um, like prioritizing that uh, over maybe going to battle for a job that you're ultimately going to lose. Thinking a little more long term, it's interesting. I thought that was what Alan Bowman was doing when he moved from Tech to Michigan. But now it's interesting seeing him go to Oklahoma State. And all I personally have to base on what kind of what his qualifications are, what his skill set is, is based on what he did at Texas Tech, which was strong, which was interesting. Like he showed promise there. Do you have any thoughts or insight or, or like what happened at Michigan, not from the perspective of why he didn't start, but like, what was he doing with his time there? Was he incubating? Was he uh, doing anything to actually move his skill set and his career forward? And like, can, could we see him go to Gundy's system and blow up? I would be very surprised if that is what happens. Um, but may, maybe Gundy's system is, is more Texas tech like than Michigan. But um, I mean, if, if JJ McCarthy got hurt, um, last year in the playoffs and I mean, Cade, Cade McNamara was already gone from the team at that point. Um, uh, Alan Bowman probably had two other guys that had to have gotten hurt before he'd be on the field. And and that's not me like twisting the knife or, or being mean. Yeah. Like that's just the reality of it. Um, I, I firmly, when, when he first transferred from tech to Michigan, I'm like, Oh, Hey, this is a, this is a move to try to like add competition to that quarterback room, but it became pretty clear pretty quickly that um, that just wasn't an on-field fit at Michigan. And I, I, I thought the same thing you did in that, Hey, this is, this is a way for him to um, get into coaching. Uh, it's, it's great to have a veteran presence in that quarterback room and have another voice in there. Um, and, and, and basically like a player coach type feel, but uh, I, I, I didn't expect him to take up a scholarship at Michigan next year, but I didn't think that he would be joining Oklahoma state and having people talking about him as a, as a competitor for that spot. So if he can do it more power to him, but I, I am certainly not betting on that. Um, I, in, in the least. I, we probably are missing the easiest reason why he went to Michigan. And that's probably because did he have a girlfriend at Michigan? Yeah. Because that's like why 80% of quarterbacks make puzzling moves, right? Levi Williams, Adrian Martinez, right? He did, did that. And there's one or two other ones that that one guy did the video on. But I thought so, that's where you're going with it, Andrew. But 
anyways, I'll, I'll let you go on with your obscure questions if you got any more. So no, I, I think we're good. That was obscure enough. It's a good it's a good obscure question to end on. Uh well, we really appreciate you hopping on, Scott. I, I think uh we're all big fans in different ways. Maybe Andrew for different reasons than I uh am a fan. Uh your Twitter account is hilarious. As a Michigan fan, I, I'm all over it. Um do you wanna real quickly tell people where you're I think it's a substack, right? Your newsletter for those that are interested in a, a deeper uh dive into Michigan throughout the different seasons. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, if you're if you're listening to this and you're not a Michigan fan, I would tell you don't waste your money on it because it's 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 very in the weeds, Michigan. But um, the the newsletter is scottbell.substack.com, and it's kind of like what we talked about, just kind of deeper dives into Michigan related stuff in season. It uh, um, spreads its wings a little bit and is a little more Big Ten centric, but. Um, yeah, it's it's just deep dives into into Michigan stuff and. Uh, so yeah. I started following you on Twitter in like 2010 or something uh, because my butt. Am I doxing you and or saying incorrectly? Did you used to work like in, in conjunction with the big lead? I've never worked in the big lead. I don't know why I thought that. Okay, my uh, my buddy referred me in your direction for something or whatever. And uh, so I started following you and initially like I, I had no, I was just like, Oh man, like this dude is so effing cocky. You had the incredible tweet about Michigan state will always be a uh, little brother. So I feel like you still quote tweeted yearly, et cetera, et cetera. And even though I have no connection to Michigan state, I was like, I found myself actively rooting against you in Michigan for a time because of that. And I don't know what it was, but eventually I, the opposite occurred. And I started, I've started to like gravitate toward you and Michigan through your Twitter account, through your newsletter to the point where now, so I will always have Georgia one and NCAA football, like generally is my number two, but I find myself following Michigan because you are engaging and, and your Twitter account and your Substack are in, engaging and I now have Michigan home field apparel, uh, at, largely as a result of that. I like. I, there's a few reasons that I personally end up following teams on a day-to-day basis and just throughout the CFP season. One of them is how much how awesome they are from a CFF perspective, but also when there are interesting, engaging, and insightful people that cover the team, like yourself, that will garner my interest. So appreciate you. Well, Thanks for coming on, dude. Well, thank thank you. For, it, it took a while to get there. I wasn't sure if that was going to be a compliment. <laughs> and all the all the annoying uh, stuff in there, but uh, I appreciate. It. I think that's how um, I got my wife just slowly like chipping away and and, and turning the uh, turning the tide. So it's it's nice to to hear another success story. But um, I, I appreciate y'all y'all having me. Um, I've been in leagues with both y'all and and, and respect you and. Um, Happy to come on and chat again sometime if you want. Awesome. Well, yeah, maybe uh, maybe Georgia will play Michigan in the playoff this uh, next year. I don't I don't know if I want to. That's, that's how the stars that stuff, were but... aligning uh, this year, and and then Michigan decided to uh, do what it did against TCU. But I, you guys don't want me to start down. This is going to be a two hour <laughs> podcast, so I will I'll zip it and and call it a day. Awesome. Well, thanks uh, for hopping on. Thanks, everybody, for listening. 
And uh, we uh, hope you guys enjoy your week. Have a good one, everybody. Have a good one.